I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Nature's deadliest organisms. I knew something's really wrong. They hijack our bodies. I started noticing that my mom's fingers and toes have started to turn black. Disable our immune systems. There is something in my son's head and I want it out. And eat us from within. Just the fear of losing your own child. There's nothing worse than that. For those infected, they are... The Monsters Inside Me. Houston, Texas. Katie and Al Hayes have been together for 17 years. When the couple first met, they immediately clicked. We went on a date, and I found out just what an incredible heart he had and what an incredible... Uh, person he was. Well, Katie, she's independent and uh, she's funny. She has a giving characteristic that, uh, you know, draws a lot of people to her. We're going to be great friends for the rest of our lives. February 2010. Katie and Al are the proud parents of two children, 15-year-old Amber and 5-year-old Jake. Amber is very social. She's a happy kid. Jake is a precocious little ball of testosterone. (laughs) It has been since the day he came into this world. Katie is nine months pregnant with the couple's third child. And she is planning to deliver the baby at home. I'm a natural girl, and I don't like hospitals. So I'm going to have the baby in my bedroom. In the early hours of February 10th, Ariel Hayes is born, weighing in at 9 pounds and 13 ounces. She was a big baby, and it was a lot of hard work. But, oh, man, when I saw her, she... <laughs> and you just meet this, this, the newest member of your family, you know, this, this, this new life. She was just so beautiful. 
The next morning, Al returns to his job teaching music. For the first time, Katie is alone with Ariel. She spends time bonding with her daughter. I finally got her breastfeeding, and we were laying there enjoying each other. She's got these big, beautiful eyes. I started to feel just this ache in my lower abdomen. It was kind of like a cramp, but not really. Just hurt. I was not concerned about the pain and thinking, "Mm, maybe it's, you know, I just had a big baby. It's just a normal little glitch, and it'll go away as I rest. But a few hours later, as Katie bathes Ariel, the pain in her belly is still there. And it started to be more present on my mind. Constant and kind of intensifying. I was growing more concern as the pain was not going away. That's when I called the midwife. She said, well, you just had a really big baby without any drugs. This is natural and normal for you to be a little sore down there. After speaking with the midwife, Katie takes an over-the-counter pain reliever. Then that afternoon, she lies down while the baby naps. A few hours later, Katie is at home alone with the baby when her daughter Amber walks in. She looks tired. And she said, you know, I'm having a lot of pain. She wasn't able to describe it really well, just that it hurt a lot. It was kind of odd, but I just thought it was childbirth pain. I thought she just needs to lay down and rest some more. For the remainder of the day, Katie stays in bed. And for the whole of the next day, while Al is out of the house, she tries to rest. But by the evening, when Al checks on his wife, he notices an alarming change. I looked at Katie, and she was starting to swell. She looked not quite like she was pregnant again, but she looked like she'd put on 15 pounds in her midsection. You know, you don't want to be paranoid, you don't want to be a hypochondriac, but I'm now concerned. Al suggests that Katie make an appointment with a doctor, but she insists on trying to wait out the pain. I hate hospitals, and I do not want to leave my baby. And soon, Katie's symptoms become impossible to ignore. The next morning, Al is giving a music class at the house. Katie is resting upstairs with the baby and her mother, who is visiting for the day. We got about 25 minutes into the lesson, and my mother-in-law comes out and leans into me and says, Katie wants to go to the ER. And that's very concerning. She doesn't like doctors, and now she's asking to go to the ER. The pain got more intense, and I was done. I got to go to the hospital now. In the ER, nurses check Katie's vitals and discover her blood pressure is dropping. They were very worried right away. Something was really wrong with me. By the time Katie is transferred to a hospital bed, she's drifting in and out of consciousness. So nurses hook her up to intravenous fluids and give her a round of antibiotics. All I remember is the panic. Waking up on the table with all these lines in me. And I was so freaked out. All of a sudden, Katie starts flailing. Then she starts grabbing at the lines I put in her. 
scared because I knew something's wrong. Something's really wrong. For close to a week, Katie Hayes has been in debilitating pain caused by a mysterious illness. It's now very apparent to me that something bad's happening. Now, with her condition worsening, Katie is placed in a medically induced coma to protect her brain. Soon after, Katie is transferred to the intensive care unit, where her case is taken over by surgeon Dr. Samir Crete. And when I saw Katie, she was in extremely critical condition. She was in full-blown septic shock. Septic shock is a life-threatening condition triggered by an infection in the bloodstream. If severe enough, it can trigger organ failure and eventually death. Dr. Crete knows that septic shock is a sign that something is poisoning Katie's blood, and he has a theory what it could be. He examines her abdomen, where she's been experiencing severe pain. It was also swollen, so evidence is pointing that the infection is coming from the abdomen. Dr. Crete and his team order a CT scan of Katie's belly. It reveals severe damage to multiple organs, requiring an immediate and extensive operation. Katie has the uterus, the ovaries, and all the colon removed. With the operation, Dr. Crete and his team can stop the infection from spreading. They're also able to identify the disease Katie has been battling. To reveal that Katie has Group A streptococcal infection. Group A streptococcus are bacteria commonly found in the throat and on the skin. However, inside Katie's body, the bacteria have spread to her vital organs, where they are attacking her cells, triggering her inflammation and debilitating pain. I was confused. I know you get strep in your throat. How can that be life-threatening? How could this be killing my mom right now? Strep bacteria are normally found in the throat or on the skin, but sometimes they make it past the body's normal defenses and enter the bloodstream and other tissues where they're not normally found. This situation is known as an invasive strep infection, and it can lead to several life-threatening conditions. For days after the surgery, Katie remains in critical condition in the ICU. Her daughter, Amber, holds vigil at her bedside. And one morning, she notices a disturbing change. So I'm in the room with my mom telling her that when she got home that I would paint her fingers and toes for her because we like to do nails together. It was at that point when I looked at her nails that I started noticing that my mom's fingers and toes have started to turn black. This was just so crazy. All I can think about is how fast my mom was going downhill. Doctors explain that during treatment, Katie's blood pressure dropped so severely that blood stopped flowing to her extremities. It led to a life-threatening skin disorder known as Papura fulminans. She had a serious infection in the fingers and toes. There was a lack of function. To stop the spread of the disease, doctors rush Katie into surgery. 
Over the course of two months, while Katie lies in a drug-induced coma, doctors carry out multiple operations to save her life. Miraculously, Katie survives. So when I woke up, I saw my husband staring at me. I said, what happened? And he said, you had a, a virus in your blood. It almost killed you. But Katie's perseverance has come at a cost. He said, you lost a bunch of skin. And you lost your limbs. The moment that I realized that I lost my limbs was devastating, shattering. I hated myself after signing the paperwork to agree to the amputations. But the infection, it was just going to continue to ravage her. She was going to die. It was really hard. It was really shocking. Every year in the U.S., group A streptococcus affects more than 10 million people. Most of those cases result in little more than a sore throat or a mild skin infection. But the CDC estimates that when strep becomes invasive, each year in the U.S. alone, roughly 1,500 people will die. Doctors cannot be sure exactly how Katie contracted the strep infection, but suspect it happened while she was pregnant. They believe the bacteria then spread after she gave birth when her body was weakened by the delivery and more susceptible to the infection. For Katie, recovering from her ordeal has not been easy. It's been a very long road, but I'm still here. I have my brain and my spirit and the love of my family. Katie's especially thankful that the infection never affected her baby, Ariel. I got to see her grow up. And now she's my buddy. We have our girl time. Katie has also started a new career as a painter. And she's gotten such good feedback that she started selling pieces. Painting takes me to another place. And while I'm painting, I work out what's going on with me right now. She's figuring out the world around her, and uh, she's just going to get better at it. I have many things to accomplish still. Anyone can get strep throat, but it's most common in children between 5 and 15. So parents of school-aged kids or adults who are often around kids are at a higher risk of getting infected. The CDC recommends frequently washing hands and seeing a doctor at first signs of a fever, severe pain, abnormal swelling, or dizziness. Monsters like strep infiltrate our bloodstream before wreaking havoc on our bodies. But when it comes to skin-crawling parasites, they take a more direct approach. They were protruding almost like the bolts out of Frankenstein's neck. Oh my gosh, could there be something in, in, in his head? Ray and Jennifer Rendoni live in Pasadena, California. Ray and I met in Long Beach. I just was hoping that he would call me for a date, and he did. She was really pretty, and we 
seem to have a lot in common. She's very outgoing, extroverted. The couple's pride and joy is their eight-year-old son, Andrew. Andrew, he is the love of our lives. I like to play sports, and I also like video games and reading. The close-knit family shares a passion for travel. Uh, yeah, we've been to Hawaii a couple of times. We went to uh, the south of France and Italy, and last year we went to Costa Rica. But this fun-loving family is about to have their world turned upside down. One morning in July, Jennifer is helping her son, Andrew, get ready for summer camp. I was brushing his hair, and I just noticed just this little scratch. It was flat, probably maybe a quarter of an inch. I mentioned it to Andrew, did it hurt? And he said no. My mom thought, since I get a lot of injuries, she thought, oh, it's fine. You know, kids get scratches and bumps and bruises all the time. So I wasn't too concerned about it. Later that day, Andrew is playing outside when Jennifer brings him some water. He walked up to me, and that's when it just caught my eye. The lymph nodes behind his ear, I, I could see them poking out. I had never seen lymph nodes this swollen. Andrew wasn't showing any signs of feeling ill. He didn't have a fever. I was very concerned because when you have enlarged lymph nodes, that there, it could be a sign of very serious illness. The next morning, Jennifer takes Andrew to his pediatrician to have him checked out. She immediately noticed the lymph nodes. So she took his temperature. He wasn't running a fever. She checked his throat, his ears. Everything looked and seemed normal. She just said, you know what, let's put him on a course of antibiotics because he must be fighting some type of an infection. Over the course of the week, Jennifer monitors Andrew's progress. But each time she checks, she's alarmed to see that the scratch is still there. That's when I started to notice when you ran your finger over, it was a little bit raised, and it looked more now like a pinhole. It was just so unusual. And his lymph nodes were still really enlarged. When Jennifer shows her husband, Ray, he can tell something is seriously wrong. The lymph nodes, they were protruding almost like the bolts out of Frankenstein's neck. I mean, they were really sticking out. For the past week, eight-year-old Andrew Rendoni has been fighting a mysterious infection. And now his lymph nodes appear dangerously inflamed. He took antibiotics for a week, and then... After a week, it was bigger and worse. That's when it was really on my radar and it got my attention. So a week after his first visit, Jennifer takes Andrew back to his pediatrician. And this time, the doctor spots something new. She noticed that the lymph nodes on his left side were starting to get enlarged a little bit. She felt like the antibiotics weren't working, so she put us on a new round of antibiotics Andrew begins his second round of medication. And about a week into the treatment, Jennifer notices something strange. The bump on top of his head was now, I would say, the size of like a small almond. And it was raised. 
the pinhole was a little bit larger. Jennifer notices that the bump is now leaking pus. We've done two rounds of antibiotics. The lymph nodes keep getting bigger. And this thing now on top of his head, I'm thinking, is this like a growth? Is it an infection? Is it some type of skin cancer? The following morning, Ray and Jennifer take Andrew to the ER. By now, in addition to pus, the lesion on Andrew's scalp is also oozing small amounts of blood. The doctor felt that he had maybe a small to medium-sized abscess on the top of his head, and it was causing the infection. The doctor drains the wound, then prescribes a third round of antibiotics. It actually looked better. You know, a lot of the swelling had gone down because they had removed a lot of the blood and the pus. I thought we were on the road to recovery. I felt relieved. But after a few days, the swelling on Andrew's scalp returns. It hurt, and there's all this pus coming out. I was not in a good state. You think of lymph nodes, you know, lymphoma or Hodgkin's, or, you know, your mind starts racing to the worst-case scenario. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Enlarged lymph nodes are a common symptom of lymphoma, a cancer that targets the body's immune system. Over the next 48 hours, Jennifer keeps a close eye on Andrew. Then, one afternoon, she notices his condition take a turn for the worse. 
he was in the family room laying down on the couch and Andrew goes, Mom, it feels like something is like crawling inside my head. I felt like I know something's in here. I had never felt anything like it. It was like kind of like this. It was like scampering. If like if you if you get your fingers and you walk them across your arm like that, that's exactly what it felt like. Oh my gosh! Could there be something in 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 his head? Jennifer calls Ray, who comes in to take a closer look. I was cleaning the wound with the Q-tip, and some water got into the the pinhole, and then something popped up and pushed the water out, and I was like. What just happened? I think I just saw a living organism in my son's head poke his head out and go back inside. I'm like, Jennifer, where we got a problem. And then that's when Ray was like, I'm getting the tweezers. We're getting this out. Jennifer helps Ray by applying hot compresses to Andrew's scalp. I put the hot compress on, left it on there for a few seconds, and then the thing popped up. And as soon as I saw some activity, I would try to snag it real quick and pull him out. But their efforts are in vain. We were overmatched. We weren't going to be able to get this thing out ourselves. There is something in my son's head, and I want it out. Eight-year-old Andrew Rendoni has just felt something crawling around inside his head. His parents, Ray and Jennifer, rush him to Children's Hospital Los Angeles, where he is seen by emergency room attending physician, Dr. Calvin Lowe. Andrew, he's very smart, very articulate. He just kept saying that there's something in my head, I can feel it. The lesion that I saw was a little raised hole with this yellow, whitish, hard, dense core of pus that was sticking out of it. I thought it might be just a little core of pus that we just need to extract. As I inserted the forceps, it was pretty tough. So I was pulling and I was pulling and so it was like reeling in a fish. After struggling for several minutes, Dr. Lowe gives one final pull. Then I remember the mother just screamed, oh my God. And I'm just looking at this horrific thing. I was just like, oh my gosh, what is this thing? Everyone was shocked. They were, they were, they'd never seen anything like that, as I haven't seen anything like that either. Andrew was infested with a botfly larva. Botflies are a family of winged insects known for gestating their larvae in the bodies of mammals. Inside Andrew's head, a botfly larva is feeding on his flesh. As it does so, it's triggering an infection, alerting his body's immune system, and explaining his badly swollen lymph nodes. I had never heard of botfly. It was not on the radar. Botflies are ingenious because they have a clever way of using a mosquito to drop their eggs onto an unwitting host. The eggs land on the skin, hatch, and then burrow through the bite wound or through a hair follicle. There, they grow by feeding on blood and tissue. Undetected, the larvae can survive for up to 10 weeks. And in that time, they'll grow to almost an inch in size. You could just see he was holding with the forceps and um, I just screamed because something was inside my son's 
head alive. It was not quite half an inch long, and it had a whole bulbous portion with meat hooks in it underneath. A bug lived in my head for four weeks. I do not know what to do. But how did Andrew end up with a botfly larva in his head? A parasitic infection by a fly larva is called myasis, and it's a condition that mostly affects domestic animals and livestock. But there are several species of fly known to cause myasis in humans, including Dermatobia hominis, the human botfly. Thankfully, myasis is not common in the United States, so anyone infected there most likely got it traveling to tropical areas in Africa or Central and South America. We believe it happened when we were in Costa Rica. Our entire week in Costa Rica, Andrew had mosquito repellent on. We've got him covered up in jeans and plastic jackets to try to keep everything uh, off of him. And I think there was like a momentary lapse where he wanted to wear a visor instead of a hat. So it's like the only skin that was exposed. What could go wrong? Once the larva is removed from his head, Andrew's condition improves almost immediately. Within 24 hours, the lymph nodes went down in size. The bump on his head went down. Today, there is an unusual legacy from Andrew's encounter with the botfly larva. So I made this, like, thing it's called, he's called Botman. And the superpowers to go inside your head. I dressed up as Botman for Halloween. I give a lot of credit to Andrew. He was so brave and he was so calm. And the experience has not put the family off travel. Costa Rica was, like, phenomenal. I mean, we, we would not hesitate about going back. I'm so thankful they're my parents. They took me to Costa Rica. I don't care what happened to me. It's just awesome. Botfly infestations are rare. But to prevent becoming infected, travelers in endemic areas should use DEET-based insect repellent and wear clothing that covers the skin and scalp. There are several parasites that enter our bodies via the bite of a mosquito. But there are others that find more ingenious ways to sneak past our defenses. That's when I really got alarmed. He was wanting to cry because he was in so much pain. Smiley Burroughs is from the small community of Pahoa on Hawaii's Big Island. There, she works as a caretaker of a small private farm. Here on the Big Island, we really work at self-sustainability. We love to teach people about tropical agriculture. Smiley and her partner, Gerald, have 10 children, six of whom live with them in their house. Our family is a big, beautiful, loving family. We're very close. Smiley has an especially strong bond with her oldest son, Phoenix Rowie. The 25-year-old shares his mother's passion for sustainability. I'll help my mom out with her garden, pull weeds, pick fruits too. He's got a huge heart. He's always helpful and willing to give anything needed. I like to grow food, hunt. I like the spiritual connection to the land. One March afternoon, 
Phoenix is in the mountains with his dogs hunting for wild pigs. The weather was nice. Not too hot, not too cold, just perfect. I've been going hunting about two or three times a week on average. As it went on a couple hours into it, I felt a little more fatigued than usual. Just real worn out, tired. Like I was getting a cold almost. I thought, I'm just, I'm just burnt out. Phoenix doesn't catch anything, but decides to wrap up the day's hunting anyway. I was ready to go home, ready to go rest. And by the next morning, he's feeling like his old self. So he goes to his job shifting canisters at a local propane shop. It was just another normal day, filling tanks and loading tanks. But it isn't long before Phoenix's energy starts to wane. I was moving real slow. All my joints are real sore. I was feeling a little dizzy and slight headaches. I can't figure out why my body is feeling like this, but I still didn't think it was that serious. Over the next few nights, the pain in Phoenix's back and joints worsens. And later that week, when Smiley sees her son, she can instantly tell he's not well. He looked exhausted, and he was complaining that he was sore. He didn't seem like he wanted to be touched. Smiley's maternal instinct tells her something is seriously wrong. Phoenix doesn't complain even if he's feeling sick, so it was alarming to me. I advised him to go to the doctor. But Phoenix is reluctant to get help. I was concerned, but the last thing you want to do is freak out. I'm kind of relaxed and mellow. I was worried at that point that he could have something potentially very dangerous. For the next few days, Phoenix ignores Smiley's pleas to see a doctor. But it soon becomes clear that aches and pains are the least of his problems. I was sitting out on my front porch, smoking my cigarette. And I try to spit, and the spit, instead of going straight forward, just falls right out of my mouth. Boom. Phoenix looks at his reflection and is stunned by what he sees. My face is real big. And I didn't really have feeling in that side of my face. Like it was numb, like limp. And when I would try to close my eye, I couldn't close it all the way. I could only close it maybe like halfway. That's when I really got alarmed. Something's definitely going on in my body. For the past two weeks, Phoenix Rowie has been battling extreme fatigue and severe pain. And now, his face has suddenly gone limp. So finally, Phoenix heeds his mother's advice and heads to a local clinic. So the doctor came and looked at my face. He saw the droop. And he kind of just diagnosed me real quickly. Right off the bat, you have Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy is a temporary paralysis of the muscles, typically in one side of the face. The cause of the condition is not clear, but most cases are thought to stem from the herpes virus 
that triggers cold sores and inflames the nerves. But Phoenix is a little uncertain about the diagnosis. There were a lot of other symptoms that were kind of looked over. I was trying to explain to him I've been in pain, but he he wouldn't even really let me speak too much. The doctor prescribes a course of steroids and tells Phoenix he should feel better within a few days. He would pretty much just, oh, you have Bell's palsy, pick these steroids up, you'll be fine. Later that night, Phoenix visits his mother, Smiley, to tell her about his diagnosis. When Phoenix came home with paralysis in his face, it was one of the scariest things that I've actually experienced. I didn't know if he had had a stroke. I was terrified. Smiley has never heard of Bell's palsy. So when Phoenix leaves, she starts researching. All of my research indicated that it didn't have anything to do with his symptoms of pain, fatigue, and sensitivity. So I definitely was not satisfied with that diagnosis. The next morning, Smiley goes to Phoenix's house to tell him he needs a second opinion. But as she steps into the bedroom, she fears she may have arrived too late. He was wanting to cry because he was in so much pain, was having a difficult time even moving. It's the worst feeling to see your child sick. There's nothing worse than that. I said, let's go, Phoenix. Let's go to the ER right now. Let's go find out what's really going on. At the hospital, doctors examine Phoenix. Based on his symptoms, they suspect he's suffering from some type of neurological disorder. Dr. William Gosnell has been studying infectious diseases in Hawaii for over a decade. If an individual has severe headaches nor stroke-like symptoms, anything from a tingling sensation to really loss of function that is associated with something going on in the brain. To test their theory, doctors order a spinal tap. It reveals Phoenix has meningitis. Meningitis is an inflammation of the lining of the brain. The condition is usually caused by a viral or bacterial infection and left untreated can be fatal. But the test results also show that Phoenix has high levels of a white blood cell linked to a specific type of infection. And it's not a virus or a bacteria. In fact, he is battling one of the most dangerous parasites on the planet. The severity of infection can be significant. It can be life-threatening. For weeks, Phoenix Rowie has been suffering from strange bouts of muscle paralysis and pain. And now, doctors have uncovered the reason why. Phoenix was diagnosed with rat lungworm disease. Rat lungworm disease is caused by a deadly parasitic roundworm known as Angiostrongylus cantonensis. Inside Phoenix's body, the parasites are attacking the tissue in his spinal cord and brain, leading to his headaches, paralysis, and debilitating pain. When the doctors diagnosed him with rat lungworm, it was scary. I felt completely horrified that he had worms in his brain. It was definitely shocking. 
it was scary. Rat lungworm is a terrifying parasite because it can affect the brain, one of the most delicate organs in the body. The larvae travel in the blood to the brain where they burst through its defensive lining. But there, the larvae get stuck and die, causing the brain to swell. This can lead to permanent neurological damage and even death. And doctors have more bad news. If we kill that worm, unfortunately, it's going to generate a large amount of inflammation that can cause a lot of damage within the brain. And because Phoenix's brain is already so badly inflamed, that could prove fatal. So all doctors can do is manage Phoenix's symptoms as they wait for the parasite to die on its own. Unfortunately, right now, there is no standard protocol for treatment for this disease. Over the next few weeks, as the worms in Phoenix's body die off, they release toxins, leaving him in excruciating pain. It was like fire, just nonstop, continuous pain. I kept thinking, oh my God, what are these worms doing to him? Just the fear of losing your own child. I thought he hasn't gotten married. He hasn't graduated from college. He's got his whole life ahead of him. And so that was really the hardest thing, you know? To feel like my son is so awesome. Why would this happen to him? Finally, a month after Phoenix was first hospitalized, there's a change. With the worms now dead, the swelling in his brain goes down and the pain in his body subsides. I was slowly, slowly recovering. I was thinking I was going to make it. And as Phoenix heals, he's left to reflect on how he contracted this life-threatening affliction. As its name suggests, the rat lungworm starts life in the lungs of a rat. When the eggs hatch, the rat coughs the larvae up and then swallows them. Then they get expelled in the rat's feces and consumed by a second host, a slug or a snail. And when the snail is eaten by a rat, the life cycle's repeated. Phoenix suspects he knows when he ingested the parasite. A few days before falling ill, he was extracting some water from a tank by siphoning it with a gardening hose. While I was siphoning, I got a whole mouthful of mud and slime. I tried to like vomit it up, but I swallowed a majority of it. That was it, guaranteed. Today, Phoenix still suffers from some minor nerve damage, but has otherwise made a full recovery. I feel lucky about my experience with rat lung. I made it through. It took Phoenix several months of healing, but he was able to come out of it and live a normal, functioning, happy life. So he's doing awesome. <laughs> Thankfully, infections of rat lungworm are incredibly rare. In the past several decades, fewer than 3,000 cases have been reported worldwide, and those have predominantly been in Southeast Asia and the Pacific Islands. But. In the past two years, Hawaii has seen an alarming number of cases. In fact, the number has almost doubled, suggesting a possible outbreak. 